0: Hello, welcome back to What Happened to Syria, a podcast about the country, the people, and their impact on the wider world since 2011. Today, we're going to take our first look at one of the most consequential ways Syria has impacted the outside world since the conflict began in 2011. I'm talking about the refugee crisis. Today in 2021, Syrians make up a majority of the world's refugees. More than 6.8 million people have been forced to leave the country, usually under threat of death, since 2011. This December 25th, we thought we should honor the Christmas spirit by looking at these people, by taking a look at the first refugees who were forced to flee from Syria in 2011. In the chronological episodes, we last left off in June 2011. So I thought it'd be fitting to quote an article from around that time describing an influx of refugees into Turkey. This article was published by Yahoo News on Friday, June 17th, 2011. It's titled, Nearly 10,000 Syrian Refugees in Turkey. Quote, Nearly 10,000 Syrians have crossed the border into Turkey, fleeing a crackdown by the Damascus regime. About 1,200 arrived right overnight Thursday to Friday, bringing the total of refugees under Turkish protection to 9,700. The refugees are being settled in camps set up by the Red Crescent in Turkey's southern province of Hatay. Turkish authorities have barred all outside access to the refugees staying in the tent city but screen idol Angelina Jolie is expected to visit the camp Friday in her capacity as goodwill ambassador for the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees. Many of the refugees come from Jisr al Shagur, a flashpoint of the anti-government uprising 40 kilometers away from the Turkish border, unquote. That was a quote from the Yahoo News article, nearly 10,000 Syrian refugees in Turkey. So all the way at the very beginning, in, in early to mid 2011, we already see an influx of refugees into countries like Turkey or Jordan or Lebanon. And already they are facing a lot of the difficulties that millions of other Syrians will soon face when they are displaced and forced to leave the country. These difficulties include squalid living conditions, unreliable access to food or water, a lack of sanitation, risk of disease spreading. And also in 2011, there were even times where, even as early as June, where the Assad regime would actually shell refugee camps. They would fire artillery shells over the border to hit these camps located in Turkey. It's so like even when you fled the country, the Assad regime would still do everything they could to get you. If you were w- within range of their artillery, they didn't care if you were on the opposite side of a different border. They would still try to shell you. In order to shed more light on the early waves of the Syrian refugee crisis, we sat down once again with Mesud, a young man from Aleppo who left Syria not just once, but twice. He witnessed and was sometimes even part of these early waves of displaced people. You're listening to What Happened to Syria? The First Refugees. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to What Happened to Syria, a podcast about the country, the people, and their impact on the wider world since 2011. When people talk about the Syrian refugee crisis, they're almost always referring to something they saw in the news probably around 2014 or 15. The, but the Syrian refugee crisis started a lot earlier. It actually started right at the beginning. Uh, it This is what happens when I forget to write it out.
1: Uh, it's fine. I mean, I'm just I'm, I'm here just winging
0: it. Yeah, I, I was gonna like pivot it to you and I, I will. I just gotta uh, I'm still new at this. So I'm not one of those like skilled professionals who knows how to talk for two minutes straight. <laughs> I got like halfway through it. Okay. But the Syrian refugee crisis actually started a lot earlier. Today, we're talking to someone who was is, who is personally impacted by this to gain a greater understanding for what for what it was like for displaced people in 2011. We're joined today by a gentleman named Mesud. How you doing, dude?
1: Hey, uh, how's it going, everyone? My name is Mesud. I am a Syrian refugee. I'm living in Turkey. I've very much seen the the earlier stages of the, the Syrian refugee crisis. I was there. I lived in Aleppo up until late 2015. So I pretty much witnessed it all.
0: And if uh, if I'm re- if I'm remembering correctly, I think you also said that there were there were a couple times prior to 2015 you were displaced. Was it 2011 and oh, 2013?
1: Yeah. So first, I we left our house in 2011. We moved to another neighborhood in Aleppo, and then in 2013 we went to Turkey. But we couldn't stay there because there's there wasn't much. There weren't many schools. Uh, no Turkish schools accepted. Syrian refugee kids at that time, and uh, Syrian schools were pretty much non-existent. Non-existent. So we ended up going back to Aleppo for education, basically. Just stayed there up until late 2015, and then went back to Turkey.
0: So in these early years of the of the refugee crisis, there was not this, the kind of um, infrastructure, if you will, that's sort of been built up to support the refugees, like we see in Turkey oh, and-, and Lebanon and Jordan today.
1: Oh no, obviously not. I mean. First, people move to their relatives' houses if they have relatives in like safer neighborhoods. People who can afford rent rented houses, uh, but most people ended up in in schools and public uh, public parks because that's pretty much where they can go to at that point.
0: So there's like a would you say there's like a disparity between displaced people who came from say upper middle class backgrounds versus those who came from the working class.
1: I mean, yeah, uh, I remember because we lived in the Ashrafia neighborhood, uh, a lot of people from the the old neighborhoods of Aleppo, from the eastern parts, moved in. Uh, so there were people who were renting, because a lot of the Kurdish population of the neighborhood moved back to Afrin by the, at that point. So they were renting out houses there. But the people who couldn't afford ended up in the park in the, in the Ashrafia neighborhood, and also, all schools were filled, because 2012 school year didn't exist, because schools were just filled with refugees.
0: Wow. What is it that would tip the balance between somebody choosing to flee to somewhere uh, somewhere else in Syria, versus those who decided, we got to get out of the country?
1: I mean, at the early years, like 2011, 2012, no one really thought of leaving. Everyone thought that the revolution is going to end fast, the site so is going to be gone, and then everyone's going to go back home. Even up until 2013, when we left the country, everyone there was just saying it's going to be like three, four months and everyone's going to go back home. No one really thought that this was going to just keep on going for years. But also as the war progressed, some in some parts of the country, living was sort of unsustainable. That's why people decided to to flee. I mean, we had no electricity, no water for weeks. The the fighting was happening beneath our uh, our balcony. We can hear them all night. So it really wasn't something that it, it wasn't a situation where civilians can live.
0: That's a really important point because when people when when people outside of Syria talk about the refugee crisis and you see these two camps kind of develop, where one side saying we got to do more, we got to take in more of these people, we got to provide more of them with asylum, and then you got you got this other camp of people who say no, they should stay over there. Well, what if you can't live?
1: I mean, we, me and my siblings, we, we risked our life. We were 12 year old kids, but we risked our lives every day just to get bread and candles because that's, that was what's there. We we needed light and we needed something to eat.
0: Wow. That's no kids should have to go through that, man.
1: Damn. I mean, we would go through. Like from FSA Roblox to regime Roblox and then back through the fighting so we can get back to our house. Uh, Earlier years, the city wasn't really like sort of divided that much because when we left in 2013, people can still walk from FSA territory to regime territory and back. But then when we came back, it wasn't really the same situation mm. we left we left and returned in the same year we left early 2013 returned the, the same year but the situation was different
0: when you returned to aleppo how so like wh- what happened in the span of time between 2013 and 2015 what, what was it that convinced y'all you, you just had to leave the country
1: i mean for those two years the situation just got worse and worse uh, 2013 was, was like relatively not as bad as 2015, uh, but food was scarce. Everything was getting more expensive. Uh, and at the same time, the city itself wasn't safe. Every two days would hear about, you know, someone we know his, their house got bombed and they were all dead. The whole family was gone. So it wasn't really something that there's nothing to keep us there. We're living in fear and it's just unsustainable.
0: So you guys are living with the constant knowledge that at any unpredictable moment, you or people you love could be killed.
1: I mean, people I know got killed going to school. I, I lost a lot of classmates. My school got bombed. Oh. Uh, our school janitor was killed. The school principal was killed as well. People we interacted with daily there, they were there. And then the next day they were gone.
0: Dear God, I don't mean I don't mean to sound. Um, I'm not even sure how to respond to that, man. That's holy shit. I, I know I know it's a cliche, but w- w- once again, nobody nobody deserves to go through that, especially not at the age that you were at. Holy crap!
1: I mean, for us at that point, it was just just a part of living there.
0: <sighs> okay, this this is my fault. I got us a little. I got us a little out of order. My bad. Um, I want to backtrack a little bit to 2013. Can you, can you describe what it was like that, that first time you were displaced, just like a, like a brief story from, from beginning to end? What, what did y'all experience and what was it, what was going on in Turkey that convinced you, let's go back to Syria and give it another try.
1: We first got displaced from our house. It was 2012. Mm -hmm. Uh, our. Our house was basically surrounded by two main streets and it was down the street. It was the FSA and then up the street was the regime forces. Yep. At that point, Yep. was just completely abandoned the neighborhood and they pulled pulled back to Sheikh Maksud, And then, uh, basically our, our, our house was almost the front line. Good God. Uh, we tried to leave the first time on foot, but we couldn't. There were snipers on both sides, so, uh, we had to call some of our relatives, but they had a car to come pick us up from there. Uh, obviously we couldn't load up all our belongings, so we just left most of them there. Uh, we packed everything that we could and we, we left. The, we had, we had a, we had a second house that we were renting to other people, but at that point we, we couldn't, so we, we went there. We stayed there for a bit, but Situation just got worse and worse. Uh, we just ended up deciding to leave. Uh, we we just got our passports at that point because uh, still regime hold, uh, held all the passports and they made us wait for almost a year to get our passports. Wow! And then as soon as we got them, one week later, we were we were gone.
0: What was it like? Um, wh- what was it like going up north to Turkey?
1: I mean, it was. It's kind of weird and, and sad at the same time because the the city was almost still the same in two thousand twelve. Yeah, we we just took the the usual route that someone would go going up because I mean before we we would go to Afrin all the time, but it was almost the same road. It's just more roadblocks. We we saw tanks, uh, but the more north we go, the more the less regime presence presence we saw. Hmm. The, at that point, uh, the FSA their treatment was much better towards people leaving than regime forces. I mean, obviously, the regime would, they would, they would check our passports and ask us where we're going and stuff like that. The FSA, Roblox, they would usually just joke with us. Mm.
0: It, It wasn't like what they ended up, what they ended up becoming years later.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah. I think a lot of people listening to this probably heard the story of covering Kalaf.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, going back to 2000, uh, going back in 2013, like later in the year through that, uh, sort of border check. I don't know what to call it between uh, like rebel held FSA territory and checkpoint? regime territory. It, it wasn't a checkpoint. It was more of a, a roadblock hmm. was something. It, it was something more like checkpoint Charlie from like east to West Berlin. Oh,
0: uh, Okay. Like an informal border
1: sort of. Yeah. There it was. It was much, much more. I mean, I don't know what to describe it as other than traumatizing.
0: What what happened? What did you see? Uh,
1: the the checkpoint. It was uh, it was like under the side of the Aleppo Citadel, where regime snipers were held mm-hmm. up. So anyone that's trying to cross, they're gonna get shot by the, the regime snipers, basically. Uh, and after you cross that, there's the sort of i'd say uh, i'm not sure if they were fsa or not i mean the, obviously probably not <laughs> uh, a lot of men with beards they they looked like you know jephat al isis yeah i'm not i'm not really sure
0: there's, there's, uh, a, there's a bunch of them al Sham, a Al sham a whole bunch of them
1: yeah and uh, there they would check every single bag we had uh no food in the regime territory was allowed. Anything that can be counted as supplies, uh, is not allowed. They would either throw it away or just plain out arrest the person that was trying to get it through. At some point we were, we were after we passed, at some point that checkpoint fell into ISIS hands and everyone caught trying to bring in sort of any sort of food into regime territory they were they would get executed on the spot i i think after 2013 neighborhoods sort of got stale everyone mm-hmm. knew where the fsa and the regime areas were but they were trying to like cut off the city from the the countryside
0: yeah i know like there was a lot of fighting over uh roads right
1: mm-hmm. yeah yeah and uh, i think one time that the rebels tried to overcome regi- the regime in Aleppo, it was, it was either 2014 or 2015, but, uh, the fighting was so intense. We, we smelled the, gu- the, com- uh, the gun, the, the gunpowder. I can't even, wow. I can't even speak anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We smelled the gunpowder all the way to our house. Jeez. Like the smell of gunpowder just filled the city.
0: Wow. This is a little off topic, but I'm just asking out of personal curiosity. Mm-hmm. How long was ISIS present in Aleppo? Uh,
1: I'd say up until was it was up until 2014, I think, hmm. but they were, they had like small pockets within the city, but then the, the rebels kicked them out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of fighting in between them in like early, very early 2014. Yeah. I think that's frankly, that's an unimaginable situation for most people who've never lived through that. Like, that's so intense, terrifying, and complicated as hell, to be frank.
1: I mean, I was there and I can't even understand it. Like, I can't even comprehend it.
0: Damn. That first time, was that when you went to Damascus and then up to Turkey, or is that the second time?
1: No, it was the second time. The first time we just... uh, we just went up to Edlib and then to the border.
0: Okay, so you get so in two thousand thirteen, you get to the border for the first time. Mm-hmm. And um, what's it like getting into Turkey? Is it is it like an easy to cross or not?
1: I mean, there were there were a lot of people at the border, a lot. Mm. We stayed at the border for almost two three hours waiting in line, but it was just waiting for the. Turkish border guards to stamp our passports and then just let us let us in. Wow, I mean, we we entered with passports. I imagine people that got there illegally had it much much worse.
0: Yeah, definitely. So, so you'd show them your passport, and what um what what was the process by which they let you into the country? Were you sudden? Were they? Were you deemed an asylum seeker? Were you granted asylum?
1: At first, uh, they gave Syrians just uh, just normal residencies, as mm. any foreigner. Okay. Any, any foreigner would come into Turkey; they would just give them residency, and then we have to renew it every year. Uh, but then, th- this is after I left. We, we left. We still had our residencies. Uh, after I left, they switched and they gave uh, Syrians. They, they call it here. Temporary protection status, Hmm. which is basically they're refugees, but still they can get deported at any second.
0: Hmm. Which, like, all all you have to do is make a make the wrong joke about bananas to have that happen, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I heard about that. So you, uh, so after you cross the border, you're granted, and you're granted that status. What was life like in Turkey? What was it that convinced your family? Let's go back to Aleppo and try to weather the storm
1: after we we moved there actually we uh, yeah we moved there we looked for a place there that had like more syrian families so we all sort of stayed at around the same area uh i mean for a kid it was it was kind of fun uh <laughs> moving into a new country no more fighting nothing but at the same time looking at it logically just staying there no education, nothing
0: Oh yeah. Uh, is not going to lead us anywhere for Syrian refugees in Turkey. They really hadn't like no access to education at all
1: at that point. Yeah. Because everything was still random. Hmm. It was, it was chaotic. So no one knew what's going to happen. Everyone thought that we're still just going to sit here for a couple of months and then just go back.
0: Yeah. Nobody imagined it would be as long as it has been.
1: No one imagined that it would go for years or like, it's been like 10 years now, 11, almost.
0: Yeah. So after, what was it? Uh, I'm sorry. How long were y'all in Turkey that first time?
1: Like around, around seven months, something around seven months. Mm. So, and then we went back to Aleppo in around late 2013 was probably September.
0: Mm. So eventually y'all, y'all get back to Aleppo. And after living through all the stuff that you, just described the uh risking your life just trying to live a normal life you guys uh you mentioned going south to damascus the second time that you fled
1: yeah Yeah, actually getting a passport again from the regime was extremely hard just Mm -hmm. trying to leave again because uh since when we left the first time only the turkish border guard stamped our passport not the syrian ones oh because regime like regime forces didn't exist at that time or in that area, so they forced us to go and get interrogated by the security apparatus, which which was scary. Was Dear scary. God,
0: sounds like it.
1: Going there is just another just a bunch of people waiting in line just to get interrogated, so they can fix their passports and leave again. Wow. And I still remember this this old lady. I don't know why they just wouldn't let her go. They kept asking her time and time again who she saw and who she was with in Turkey, and she just kept saying nobody. And they kept insisting on it.
0: Damn.
1: She was there before us, being interrogated. When we came in, we f- we we went in, we finished, and she was still there. They wouldn't let her go. Good lord!
0: Hope she got out okay. I I sure hope she got out okay. Who knows? I got I gotta say, man, Misud. Of all the people I've interviewed on this podcast, you might have like the highest number of crazy, scary stories.
1: I mean, yeah, because I've lived there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have, I, I have more. I got, I got shot at.
0: Jesus.
1: I, I saw that, like I was going out, out of this, out of my school, and the street got bombed. <laughs> Oof. I still have more, but
0: well, we'll definitely get into those in future episodes. I mean, like it, it sucks that you went through all that, man. I, I don't mean to sound like I'm like I'm cheapening your experience, but I, I, I am honestly kind of impressed that, like, when you come on here, you, you'll you'll mention something that like most people would immediately mention as like this big thing. You, you'll you'll just right. drop it as like, yeah, it happened.
1: <laughs> and and the thing is, the the stuff that I went through isn't even like ten percent of stuff that I heard from other people. Hmm. Some people went even through worse stuff than me. So
0: once y'all got your uh, your passport sorted out, you go out from Damascus, back up to Turkey in 2015?
1: Yeah. Uh, like actually around this time, it was it was December.
0: Okay. So it's late 2015, y'all yeah. leave Syria for good. What was it like in Turkey uh, this time around as refugees?
1: I mean, it was obviously it was more organized at first uh syrians like syrian students Syrian refugee kids had their own schools completely suffer from the turkish education system like the the we like in arabic we call it a temporary government the opposition government ran these schools but then later on uh they shut down these school uh, these schools and then transferred syrian kids into turkish turkish schools because everyone at the end ended in Turkish universities. But at the same time, it was also kind of, uh, kind of complicated, uh, sorry, kind of complicated to get the temporary protection status because they had sort of implemented, uh, implemented laws that say if, if you come here legally, you're not allowed to apply for temporary protection status. We have, we had to apply for residencies, just touristic residencies as if we're tourists in the country.
0: I mean, like in most of the most other countries, that wasn't the case. In most other countries, you guys could have a very, very credible claim for asylum. If you go back, you could uh, be killed, right?
1: Yeah, but Turkey at that time had a lot of Syrian refugees. And mm. with their deal with the EU, sort of, they tried to limit the, the, the amount of refu- refugees coming into Turkey. And at the same time, refugees coming out of Turkey into the EU. Damn.
0: Yeah, that, that brings us to a, a really important point. We'd be remiss not to uh not to hit up a little bit. What, what is it like for you as a Syrian when you hear people in other countries saying we need to have fewer Syrians coming into our country? What is that like to hear that?
1: It obviously hurts because people over there they're still suffering. I still talk to people inside of the country. Everyone wants to leave, no one wants to stay. But I, I really don't know, especially living here in Turkey and hearing all the anti-refugee rhetoric that's been going on and the thing is what they don't understand is like refugees have zero impact on turkish political life or economic or economic issues going on in the country but we're being used as a political tool either by by the government or the opposition I'm sort of sidetracking here because this is an issue no, as go been, ahead, that's been because it's been going on for quite a while. We had sort of pogroms going around where mobs just started going around the city, destroying Syrian owned businesses, they even trying to attack people's houses.
0: Good God.
1: And it's all small, petty things that happen that trigger all of this.
0: Wow. You know that what, what you're describing right there. That's exactly why I wanted to do this episode. That kind of sentiment. That people express, whether it's through, whether it's through hateful rhetoric or violent actions, we got to find some way to put a stop to it because not only it, not only is it morally wrong it is so dangerous for society at large. Because if you start, you start dehumanizing one group of people, you could easily start dehumanizing your own neighbors.
1: I'm pretty much here in Turkey. They call Syrians thieves Rapists, uh, just they call us mafia. Even even the the uh, one mayor here says, "Oh, like the Syrians are not mafia now, but they're going to be becoming a ma- like a mafia in the future. So we have to stop it from now." To justify his like his racist borderline just nazi fa- fascistic uh, laws that he's been passing in his municipality that's horrible man the opposition is pretty much blaming everything that's wrong in the country on us not not the government is just saying you know the government is just spending too much on syrians that's why we're having economic collapse uh the the, the government is giving out like free scholarships to syrian the Syrian students which is just not true but they choose to believe the people choose to believe it because they want a
0: scapegoat so for Syrians living in Turkey and other let me rephrase that for, 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 for Syrians who have been uh, displaced from the country and f- forced to flee to uh, Turkey or elsewhere do they tend to be like uh, find themselves in sort of the working class or the middle class what does their economic situation typically look like
1: I mean, it really depends on their economic situation back home. People who are middle class in Syria come here and they're still middle class, mostly. Rich people back in Syria, they're still rich here. And people who come poor from, from their own homes, are, they're still going to be poor. And now some some sort of law is being implemented, which is pushing Syrians to be more working class here, which is uh, forcing Syrian students, Syrian refugee students to pay pay, uh uni t- like university tuition, not everyone can afford that. And uh, this is basically pushing the, the, the Syrian youth into uh, like out of university into low paying jobs.
0: Damn. Yeah, I think that, that that's something that a lot of people When they when they talk about Syrian refugees, that detail in particular uh, gets lost on us. We forget that they got to deal with whatever circumstances exist in whichever country they're going to. It's not all it's not just they're not just like in paradise the moment that they escape from Syria.
1: I mean, obviously, uh, even after leaving Syria, everyone suffers. Even even refugees in Europe. Now we're hearing Denmark wants to deport people back to Syria. Yeah, just just plain out horrible. God, <laughs> they're yeah. sending them. They're sending them back to the to the slaughter. They're sending them back to where they ran away from, from like to who they ran away from.
0: Yeah, like that one minister going to jail for mistreating Syrian refugees. That's a good start, but she needs to be like the first of several. <laughs>
1: And they need to reinstitute the, those people's right of refuge. They they need to be pulled out of these refugee de- detention camps.
0: But like there there are there are laws on the books. There are, there are international laws prohibiting what they call the refoulement of refugees back to countries the, the countries they fled from. It, it happens because international laws get broken all the time, but it's not supposed to happen. It's, it's not
1: supposed to happen, but they're still doing it
0: (laughs) yeah At at the risk of being at the risk of being too idealistic i really do think that the first step to combating this is awareness getting the general public to realize this is a problem and i think we're more likely to see positive change in this if a majority of people have an opinion on it rather than a majority of people aren't even paying attention that's really i think when if you look at like how the situation developed to the point where Denmark got to the point that they're sending people back to regime held areas in Syria, it gradually built up over time, and we failed to pay attention to what they were escalating
1: towards. I mean, I, I hope people get the, the awareness that they should about this situation. But the thing is, hating someone you don't know is much easier than trying to accept those people into your society. That's why they do it. Politicians use it as a as an easy way to get votes. And for the populace, it's much easier for them to blame the someone who's foreign coming into their country for their country's problem. We're trying to raise awareness. We're trying to make them understand that Syrian refugees have nothing to do with the problems going on. I hope they, they understand, but it, it will be hard convincing them.
0: We're encouraging listeners of this show to not only keep Syrians and refugees from all countries in your thoughts and prayers this Christmas. Don't get me wrong, that is part of this, but not the full scope. We want you to take whatever action you can, even if it's just a little. You don't have to take somebody into your house or give away money you can't spare. Doing the former would be awesome. Doing the latter isn't necessary or recommended. It could be as little as pushing back When one of your friends or relatives starts repeating hateful rhetoric about refugees, even if it's an innocent misunderstanding, do what you can to remind people that Syrians, refugees, and refugees who happen to be Syrian are human beings like you and everyone you know. They're people, a mix of good and bad, like every group of people who've been thrown into extremely, unfortunate circumstances, we need to push back when they are stereotyped as backward, savage terrorists invading the West. This is a myth propagated by hateful individuals who have damaged Western culture. Yeah, I said it. Get mad, bro. They've damaged Western culture by resurrecting myths and tropes that originated in Nazi propaganda during the 1930s or even earlier forms of bigotry.
1: The mood is heated up in Istanbul. As they bother us. If more of them come, I don't want to live in this neighborhood and in this country anymore. We want them to leave as soon as possible. We don't want them here
0: anymore. There's an apartment across the street for 800 liras. There's a basement right here they are renting for 600 liras. They've driven the rent up so we can no longer afford it.
1: Her landlady, who has stopped by, is eager to chime in. She has her own grief with Syrians. (laughs) Syrians are getting good money from our government, but not locals. My mother is very poor. She's old. She gets very little money from the government. She says she will never rent her apartment to a Syrian because many families move in together and, she says, would destroy it. The landlady his daughter describes how it bothers her that Syrian beggars touch her when they ask for money. Such feelings of resentment against Syrians are rising among
0: low-income Turks, particularly in Istanbul. Ahmed has been living here for six years, having fled his home in Aleppo. His barber shop is targeted.
1: I was working in my salon and all of a sudden people started to gather outside. And then about half an hour later, they started to attack Syrians. They attacked and ransacked shops. I was working inside and they pulled down the metal shutters, but they smashed a window outside and a mirror inside. They were beating people up in the street and attacked the neighbors.
0: Muhammad arrived here seven months ago from Damascus. His bakery was also attacked.
1: They smashed the window and there were glass shelves that they broke as well, and the CCTV screen.
0: For some, Syrians have become scapegoats as unemployment and inflation rise. Politicians have been accused of stoking tensions with xenophobic language in recent local election campaigns. A camerawoman in Hungary has been caught on video tripping and kicking migrants at a reception center for refugees in Ruska. Petra Laszlo who was filming for the YouTube based channel N1 TV which is close to the far-right Jobbik party can be seen here on the left as a man carrying a toddler runs by she clearly puts out her leg causing him to trip and fall to the ground.
1: In another incident Laszlo is seen kicking a girl as she runs past her. A German journalist
0: posted a video of her actions on his Twitter account.
1: In Germany, right-wing opposition party leader Frauke Petri has stoked a social media storm with provocative comments about refugees. In an interview published in a German newspaper on Saturday, Petri, who's one of the party leaders of Alternative for Germany, or AFD, says police should have the right to shoot at illegal migrants.
0: She told the paper,
1: quote, border guards must prevent illegal
0: border crossings and even use firearms. If necessary. In a supposedly confidential conversation, former press spokesman for the Alternative for Germany, Christian Luth, is heard saying a worsening situation in Germany would benefit the party and it would therefore be in the AFD's interest if more migrants come to Germany. He allegedly said then they could be shot or gassed later. The America that we know and love doesn't exist anymore. Massive demographic changes have been foisted upon the American people. And they're changes that none of us ever voted for and most of us don't like. If history is any guide, and it's always a guide, we will see many refugees settle in our country in coming months, probably in your neighborhood. And over the next decade, that number may swell to the millions. So first we invade, and then we're invaded.
1: Donald J. Trump is calling for a total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States until our country's representatives can figure
0: out what the hell is going on. So, do you believe that uh, Islam is consistent with the Constitution? Uh, no, I don't. I do not. And we need to immediately halt the president's ill-advised plan to bring in tens of thousands of Syrian Muslim refugees. Our vetting programs are woefully insufficient. This administration has no means of preventing those refugees from being ISIS terrorists. ISIS has stated its intention to infiltrate those terrorists, those refugees, with terrorists coming to America to commit acts of jihad. They will never have refugees or refugees in their backyards. They just will not. Mm Because I don't think that they're going to pump refugees into Beverly Hills. But database is okay. And watch list is okay. And surveillance is okay. If you don't mind, I want to be, I want to surveil. I want surveillance of these people that are coming in. The Trojan horse, I want to know who the hell they are. And the biggest story yesterday, the biggest
1: was Trump wants database on Muslims, doesn't matter. I want surveillance of these people. They're bringing drugs, they're bringing crime, they're rapists, and some, I assume, are good people. They beat us at the border, people are flowing through, drugs are coming across, pouring across.
0: We're gonna have our borders nice and strong, we're gonna build the wall. Build a wall. Build a wall. I'm gonna build a wall. This Christmas, let's do what we can to push back against the irrational hatred of refugees and other immigrants. Thank you for listening to What Happened to Syria, a podcast about the country, the people, and their impact on the wider world since 2011. Follow us on Twitter at Syriapod so you can stay up to date with future episodes, you can email us at what happened to Syria podcast at gmail.com. We encourage anyone to reach out to us if you think we got a detail wrong or if you have information relevant to the topics we discuss. If you are Syrian, part of the Syrian diaspora, or have otherwise been personally affected by events in Syria since 2011, please reach out to us. We'd love to have you on the show. I should also say that Maysoud has previously been on this show, and you can find his interview by going on to our Patreon page.
1: Like shelling sniper fire that was just a normal part of our daily lives
0: if you like what you heard and want to support future episodes please consider supporting us for on patreon go to patreon.com slash what happened to syria to support us for as little as one dollar a month you can get bonus episodes like our interview with maysood for just three dollars a month and join our discord server for five dollars You can also get fan-requested content and a shout-out in each episode when you join as a VIP patron for $20. Shout-out to our patrons on Patreon, Jaeger DePato and Evan Kennedy. Thank you all so much. Thank you to all of our listeners. I'm Sean Hastings, the creator and host of What Happened to Syria. We'll see you next week.